break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 26th of October, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. We got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about some of the facts behind vaccine apartheid. We're also going to be talking about repression in Kashmir. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about rich nations shortchanging the climate fight. COP26 approaches this weekend. All sorts of things are coming out from various nations to show that they really care about the climate. And on that note, the United Kingdom, which is currently in the presidency of COP, hence why the meeting is in Glasgow, released this week an update on the Climate Finance Delivery Plan. That's the plan of rich nations to contribute to the overall climate fight around the world. And in 2009, the richest nations pledged to provide more than $100 billion a year to developing nations in climate finance. That was supposed to start last year in 2020. This is a crucial aspect of addressing climate change because many countries around the world do not have the wealth available to promote a just transition. Many of these nations, of course, are facing tremendous impacts from climate change, although they contributed and continue to contribute very little to the greenhouse gas emissions that are driving climate change, almost all of which come from the developed nations. So climate finance is not only key to the world reaching the necessary goals to save the planet, but it's also necessary for countries that are already being inundated to do some basic adaptation. And ultimately, it's also a form of repertory relief for nations ravaged by problems that they didn't even cause. Bottom line, the report from the UK noted that, in fact, the $100 billion was not provided last year. It won't be provided this year. And in fact, they won't get to that level until 2023. And just a reminder... They have had it since 2009 to prepare for this and still failed to deliver. There's also the fact that even the amount of money they claim to be spending is really a total sham when you break it down. For instance, as noted by an ActionAid USA analysis of Oxfam data in 2017 and 2018, the OECD, that's the Club of Developed Nations, claimed that developed nations spent 71 to 78 billion dollars in climate finance. 71% of what they counted, however, was in loans. That is money that these developing nations will have to pay back with interest. According to Oxfam, when you look just at the grants, developing nations gave only 18 to 21 billion in 2017 and 2018. So you can see the shell game that's playing out here. ActionAid, however, raises another important issue, and that is that $100 billion isn't close to enough. They note that, quote, For meeting adaptation needs in developing countries alone, the UN Environment Program's most recent adaptation gap report estimates that $140 billion to $300 billion will be needed annually by 2030. 
There's a relative lack of rigorous studies on financing needs to address permanent loss and damage, but one recent study arrives at an estimate of $290 to $580 billion annually by 2030. ActionAid goes on to further note that, quote, the Africa group of negotiators is now calling for climate finance to reach $1.3 trillion cumulatively by 2030. A report by major U.S. climate groups detailed that the U.S. should really be paying about $90 billion a year just by itself by 2030, $800 billion in total to be paying their fair share. That is in comparison to the amount of emissions the U.S. is responsible for. As ActionAid also noted, to put that into perspective, this nine-year total is only slightly more than the $779 billion Congress is poised to commit to the U.S. defense budget for 2022 alone. Despite all of this, the U.S. is actually trying to slow down even the $100 billion a year from all developed nations combined because they do not, in fact, want to pay their fair share. That is the elites who run U.S. politics. You add that to the fact that the Democratic-controlled White House and Congress have decided it seems to do nothing substantive to address climate change. And obviously, the U.S. is one of the biggest culprits and why the planet is heading towards destruction. So as we mentioned to you yesterday, the planet absolutely is burning while the elite leaders of the world's richest nations fiddle away. Police in Kashmir have filed charges against two medical students under an anti-terrorism law. Their crime? Cheering for Pakistan in the recent India versus Pakistan cricket match. Pakistan gave India a bit of a thrashing at that match in the UAE, and always when the two cricketing nations meet, it's a big deal for the sport. After Pakistan's win, Kashmiri students were attacked in different parts of India, and a Muslim member of the Indian team faced quite a bit of abuse online from right-wing fundamentalists in the camp of the nation's ruling party, the BJP. Ravinder Ranya, the president of the ruling BJP in Indian-administered Kashmir, said, all those who cheered for a quote-unquote enemy country of Pakistan will be in jail soon. He said further, quote, those people who celebrated Pakistan's win in Kashmir, any other place, the case has been registered. These people will be identified and they will be behind bars soon, end quote. India occupies Kashmir with 700,000 troops and a major conflict has been raging there for decades. Kashmir is a majority Muslim territory and its legal status has been more or less up in the air since partition in 1947. Kashmir was one of what were known as the quote-unquote princely states whose rulers were allowed to choose whether they became a part of Pakistan or India. Ultimately, this was never fully resolved, even though Kashmir technically became part of India, and whether it should be a part of Pakistan, India, or independent has been a major issue ever since. India has, however, always sought to put its thumb on the scale through a brutal military occupation. And the real tipping point in the conflict taking off to the point it is now came in 1987 when Indian authorities rigged the regional elections, virtually shutting out Muslim parties who had won substantial amounts of the vote. This blatant disenfranchisement set off an armed insurgency that lasted into the 2000s, comprised of various forces, including some prominent Islamicist ones with ties to Pakistan. The insurgency was fueled by the deep brutality of the Indian armed forces and police. Somewhere between 50 and 100,000 people have been killed in the conflict, the vast majority being Kashmiri civilians. The Indian quote-unquote security forces occupying the Kashmir Valley have committed numerous massacres and used torture and rape as weapons of war. Indian intellectual Panjak Mishra described it thusly, quote, In addition to the everyday regime of arbitrary arrests, curfews, raids, and checkpoints enforced by nearly 700,000 Indian soldiers, the valley's 4 million Muslims are exposed to extrajudicial execution, rape, and torture, with such barbaric variations as live electrical wires inserted into penises. 
The current Modi government has gone out of its way to strip Kashmir of special constitutional protections and promoted what is essentially a settler colonial strategy to attempt to tighten the reins on the region. And since 2019, they have really been tightening that stranglehold on the region, frequently throttling communications, jailing people even more than normal, and now declaring students celebrating a cricket match to be terrorists. Yet, of course, India's government receives no real criticism or attacks from the United States, despite the well-known brutality of its government in Kashmir and the massive amount of religious intolerance being promoted by the same government, which often spills over into vigilante violence against Muslims, communists, or anyone who refuses to conform to the right-wing so-called Hindu views promoted by the BJP. The People's Vaccine Alliance, which promotes an end to vaccine apartheid, has just released a new report detailing how wealthy nations and major pharmaceutical corporations have done essentially nothing to ease the vaccine apartheid issue. And in fact, that their policies have created the situation in the first place. The report punctures all the lofty rhetoric about donations and so on and so forth that we hear from these same corporations and countries. Among other things, the People's Vaccine Alliance notes that, quote, almost half, 49%, of the vaccine sold by AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson have been delivered to high-income countries, even though such countries only comprise 16% of the world's population. The countries of the African Union collectively have a population that is three times larger than the countries of the European Union. Yet the African Union Vaccine Acquisition Trust, a vaccine procurement platform, has only been able to purchase 100 million doses from Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson. By contrast, the EU has been able to purchase nearly 1.5 billion doses from AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, or approximately 15 times the number of doses compared to the AU. They also go into detail in this report as it regards Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson that, quote, none of the four companies have delivered even half of the doses they promised to COVAX in 2021. Pfizer, BioNTech have delivered 39% of an already inadequate 40 million doses to COVAX, or 1.4% of the total deliveries made by Pfizer to date. Johnson & Johnson committed 200 million doses to COVAX in 2021, but has delivered none. Moderna committed only 34 million doses to COVAX in 2021, or just 3% of its total production, but has also delivered none. AstraZeneca has only delivered 14% of its promised doses to date to COVAX. And they go on to note that, quote, just 14%, or 261 million of the 1.8 billion donated doses promised by the G7 and Team Europe, that's the EU plus Iceland and Norway, have been delivered to low- and middle-income countries. Inexplicably, G7 countries and Team Europe have donated over 10 million doses to other high-income countries during the pandemic, or 4% of total donations they have provided throughout the pandemic. The UK and Canada have delivered only 9.6% and 8%, respectively, of promised doses. Of course, most of these countries and companies are also the moving force behind making sure there are no changes to intellectual property laws to allow vaccine production techniques to be shared to help address the shortage. Overall, the world's vaccination efforts, just like almost every other part of the COVID response, has been massively hindered by the drive to secure private profit at the expense of people's health. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. 
And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.